How do you know when love is gone? A common question among many couples. Our next guest will help us answer that question. I'm Dr. Christy Wise, and this is Life Sauce. Dr. Jackie Black is a therapist who specializes in this very question. How do you know when love is lost? And how can you get it back? Okay, so Dr. Jackie, today we're talking about um, you know what to do when you're falling out of love or how to know that you're falling out of love. And it's such an important conversation because, you know, especially for long-term relationships, we have moments of not feeling so in love. Uh, with our partner, especially when it's, you know, over a long, long, long relationship. What's the difference between having moments of just not feeling it to really, really knowing that you just have fallen out of love? Falling out of love. Thank you so much for having me uh, today. I'm very excited to talk about this topic because, as I started to say, falling out of love is code for something is wrong in the dynamic. Something is wrong with the connection with the couple. Uh, it really doesn't mean that, um, that we're falling out of love. It really doesn't mean you're no longer the right person for me. It doesn't mean I don't want to be with you anymore. It means there has been a disruption in our connection. There is something that is holding me back from being open-hearted and vulnerable. So whenever I hear anybody talk about I'm falling out of love, or uh, here's the, what we hear often, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Mm -hmm. That always tells me that there's a disruption in the connection, in the intimacy. Yes. Yeah. Do you feel like that disruption can... Um, I don't know, over time, you know, it's like almost like I see it like little fractures over time that create that disconnect. And sometimes it's very difficult to repair or to many couples, it feels almost impossible to repair, right? Do you, do you feel like that's how it works or do you feel like it's just a disruption and then there's ability to reconnect? I think both things are true. I think for partners, it feels overwhelming. It feels desperate. It feels really true in the moment. Uh, and it scares them. And the other thing is that is true in my experience, working with over a thousand couples in eight countries over the last 35 years, is that reconnection is possible when each of the partners wants reconnection to be possible. Mm, yes, yes. Wanting that connection. You know, there's no such thing as love. L love is not a feeling. The five normal natural feeling states are mad, sad, glad, afraid, and guilty. Nowhere did I say love. Right. So love is an internal experience that we have uh, when we experience a combination of behaviors. And that combination of behaviors is different for everybody, which is why it's so important for couples early on to really start to talk about what makes me feel cozy and warm, what I need to feel vulnerable, what turns me on. Mm -hmm. 
because all those things are different for every partner. And so all those things are different in every relationship. Yes. Do you feel like those things um, change over time or can change over time? Uh, I think what happens is that we deepen our own sense of knowing ourselves and we deepen our own sense of vulnerability, of openness. And so that container, if you will, that, that warm, ooey-gooey love inside of us, that container expands, it grows, it deepens, it broadens. And so more things may really affect us positively and negatively than in the earlier part of the relationship. Yes, that, that makes sense. I, I agree with that very much. I also, you know, let's let's step back just a little bit because what I recognize is people are leading up to, at least with my clients, what's leading up to those feelings of disconnect or, you know, the belief that they're falling out of love or out of like sometimes as well are, you know, things where there's unmet expectations or little injuries that haven't been repaired. I, I call it, um, I call it pee in the bathwater. And, and let me explain why I call that pee in the bathwater is that I, you know, I, I'm a mother of four. And um, in 2007, you remember when the market crashed and couples were divorcing and everything was chaotic? And I would, you know, have all of these couples coming in with such, you know, pain and anger and trauma. And then at the end of the day, I would go home and for me to wash off my day, just like many therapists or clinicians or coaches, you know, we have to transition into our own life. And so I would take a really beautiful bath and I would spend way too much money on bath products. And anyway, this is a long way around my distinction. Just bear with me for a minute. And then I'd get into the tub, this gorgeous tub with the bubbles that I spent way too much money on. And inevitably my bedroom door would slam open and four kids and four dogs and, you know, the, the toys would go in and the, everybody would jump in, you know, little kids jumping in. And inevitably, when my sons, I'm sure my daughter too, but when my sons would hit the water, they'd pee. The warm water would make them pee. And it dawned on me that while the surface looked gorgeous, the bubbles were still pretty, I knew that we were sitting in pee. And that as human beings, what we do is we pee in our own bathwater because we're human beings. And it needs to be cleaned out all the time as as a way to have a clean relationship, a clean life, because even when like our partner doesn't know about certain things, you know, I bought a t-shirt or a shirt from Nordstrom and tore the tag off and didn't say anything, that little withhold is like pee in the bathwater. It's things that make us feel uncomfortable that, you know, are mudding or mucking up the space between two people. And so I realized over time that people, you know, those, those little wounds, those little like, you know, unmet expectations or things that cause pain do create those feelings of disconnect. And then it's very difficult for people to figure out, okay, how do we rebuild those connections? How do you see in your work, in your um, experience, and, and, and you've had a ton, how do you see how it sort of unfolds? And how can we help people before there's pee in the bathwater or before it unfolds like that? First, I want to say that is such a beautiful story. And I think a perfect illustration of what happens. And if I can just continue that for a moment, I think that as people pee in the bathtub a little bit and a little bit more, we don't necessarily notice. And when something brings our attention to the disconnect or to the tension 
or to the absence of warmth or closeness, then a lot of very little affronts and offenses have already taken place outside of people's conscious awareness. And they don't know how they got to where they are. And that's why they bring their awareness to that. And they say, oh, I don't think I love you anymore. Right. They, they, they don't realize that there are so many little things that have happened that they have not paid attention to. So one of the things that I do is I bring couples attention to some of the places where they're missing each other. And I use that word missing each other. Where do you remember connecting and enjoying each other? And as you think about it today, you're missing each other. And, and that question often brings people's awareness to some of the things that have been going on. One of the most important things that happens is people become logistical in their relationships. Do you find that? That it's all about who's doing what and, and going where. And so it's very logistical. Oh, yes. Very, especially after kids and the economy or, or whatever is going on in the world. Absolutely. So we have to then bring people's attention back to their shared vision, to the things that they really enjoy doing together, momentary. You know, people are very busy and they can't commit to big behaviors or long-term things that take a long time. So if they attend to each other, not work, I think that if people are working on their relationship, then their relationship isn't working. This is much more about bringing our attention to ourselves and to our partners. And when we attend to each other daily in very little ways, me meaning um, not that the behaviors are unimportant, but that they're momentary, those momentary connections. Remember when you were a kid, you played pickup sticks? Oh, yes. And so the sticks would have a points of intersection and that's what we need to bring couples back to is those momentary points of intersection and it's like snowflakes all of a sudden you have a snowdrift. well that's beautiful by the way I love that that's really beautiful um, what about the idea of physical attraction losing attraction um, especially over time, you know, when I, I, I'm thinking of one couple in particular where, you know, one person lets themselves go. Uh, this was a, a common conversation after COVID, you know, COVID weight and or sort of letting themselves go. And the other partner, understandably, in my mind, viewing that as um, disrespect or that you don't care enough about me to put yourself together or represent you know, represent us as a we in a really healthy, beautiful way. What about the physical attraction? Physical attraction is important. Uh, when people make comments like that, that are, that are unkind and that are judgments underneath that, I'm always curious about what is going on underneath that. Uh, and often it is the opportunity to snipe a little bit and uh, not to talk about the, 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 the bigger elephant in the room, which is not really the letting go, that's the more superficial, mm -hmm. but that there's been some hurt that, that has just festered, uh, or there's a way that people weren't telling the truth 
they weren't being angry or upset with each other responsibly and respectfully. And so now it's turned into this reservoir of resentment. Uh, or they find themselves defensive and defending because something happened and they no longer feel safe. So for me, that's always what's happening on the on the surface. And then I'm always curious about what is really going on subsurface, what is really going on under the under. Right. So can you give me some examples of what that would look like for people, you know, so that they can kind of think, oh, wow, I, I do that. Do you know? Yes. Um, you, you know, <laughs> there's always a lot of conversation about um, helping, helping around the house, helping with the kids, walking the dog. And uh, again, for me, it's never about that. It's a way that people's left brains have keyed into, and there's two words that I like to use, which is contribution and participation. So when people are complaining about people, not helping, not doing their share, not doing their part, uh, or focusing on physicality, it really is about not feeling somebody's, your partner's, their partner's contribution and participation. So we take a look at how people are stepping in and showing up with their partners and in the relationship. Mm, yeah, that's well said. Yeah. What about the repair part? Okay. So there's been some breakdown. They've had a, you know, they don't agree on something. There's been a fight. Um, there, if there's one partner who feels like they're always in charge of repairing and they begin to resent the fact that they're the ones having to, you know, lead in this, um, on a reparation, um, how do you work with your couples in terms of, you know, making sure that it feels, um, I don't know, fair, even though one might be better at it. Well, not only is one better at it, it's often like one that keeps the social calendar. One is better with finances. And in terms of emotional intelligence, one is typically more open um, in terms of emotional intelligence to repair, to hold the space for the other partner to step in and then to engage concurrently in the repair process. And so I always say to couples, who cares? What's the difference? Why do you care? What's important that you do it or that you don't do it, right? What, what, what is the story that we're telling ourselves about this piece? Yeah. And, um, and when we can unwrap the story that we tell ourselves, often the person that does have the capacity, the emotional capacity to be the holder of repair space uh, can really be elevated and um, appreciated. And the, the partner that really doesn't do that so well can really appreciate their partner more. So yeah. it, we really, but we, again, we have to go to what's the story that you're telling yourself that you got to this judgment? Yes, yes. Uh, John Gottman is one of my favorites. I mean, you know, there are so many fabulous um, relationship experts and stuff. One of the things I love about John is that he, you know, comes from a place of gratitude and love and appreciation. And I think that that's, you know, people lose that over time, especially when they become transactional in their relationships. And the idea of, 
you know, I think John does the five positives for every one negative. I, in my work, I do three positives because I feel like five is, is a lot for some people. I did sometimes, some days it's a lot for me too. <laughs> I mean, like that's, you know, so I feel like three to one is a nice ratio. So it's three compliments to every one, you know, negative statement if that's, if that's, if that works for the couple. But I think coming at your partner from a place of love and gratitude is wonderful, sometimes easier said than done. I'm wondering how you feel about that concept. Yeah, I really talk about it in terms of appreciation and issue. And um, that we we have to really start with appreciation. Uh, at least two uh, and three is better. So that there are three things about our partners that we can appreciate, and then an issue that we want to unwrap and address together, that we want to find a solution for, so that we're co-creating a solution that works for both of us. And I think that is the part that a lot of people um, forget, that they can articulate the thing that's wrong, but they don't take the next step and then co-create whatever the solution is that works for both of them. Mm-hmm. Yes, it works for both of them. Um, and of course, because we're human, we're not always great at following through or we forget or so, you know, um, being on the same side, staying on the same side and being able to support your partner in remembering the follow through, I think is really important because I noticed there's a lot of that. Like we had this conversation Sunday and by Tuesday she was already X, Y, and Z. Right. So there's a kind of a setting up to succeed. I am really hardcore about that. Uh, And if you say that you're going to do something or you make an agreement or you come to co-create a solution, then by God, you better remember and show up and honor that. And if you don't, it's a betrayal. And the reason that I'm so hardcore about it is that the heart experiences it as a betrayal and you have a consequence. And the consequence is that your partner will begin to take a little step back emotionally, close down a little bit emotionally. And and so the partners that are forgetting from time to time or really wasn't such a big deal, it really is. And I think that when people understand that it really is a betrayal and it affects your partner. It affects your partner's ability to feel safe and to be vulnerable and open-hearted. And that's always the point is to be vulnerable and open-hearted because from that place, all things are possible. Yes. And that that's a beautiful point. The idea of betrayal is something I'd love to be able to talk about because, you know, when a couple goes through something that one partner feels incredibly betrayed, whether it's that you made a promise or you didn't follow through or you forgot or you had an affair and now we want to repair, right? And then, you know, like I, I, I'm sure that you see this. So it's kind of like a there was a betrayal. Now we want to heal. One partner said, how many times do I have to say I'm sorry? How many times are you going to bring that up? And my answer to that is as many times as it takes for my heart to heal. Yep. And I say to the offending betrayer, I guess that's a (laughs) oxymoron. Uh, um, You have one response however many millions of times you think you're hearing that. And your one response is, first you shake your head in affirmation. I know that you feel that way. 
I'm sorry that I did what I did and it won't happen again. That's the only response when people bring it up over and over and over. Um, and the partners that do bring it up over and over and over and the partners that can hold a space for that are the couples who can um, repair and whose relationships are stronger and deeper than they were before. Yeah, yeah. Right. If the person who was the betrayer really can't hold the space, can't be held accountable for as long as it takes to heal their partner's heart, then now we've got a different problem. Yes. Yeah. That's, and I agree with that. I think it's very difficult, you know, with one, the betrayer, so to speak, not working through their own guilt and shame, and, you know, even wanting their partner to hold space for how much it hurt them to hurt them, if that makes sense. I don't, I said that awkwardly, but you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And yeah. it's important. And that is challenging. Most of the time, the, the partner that is hurt really needs to get to a certain place before they even have the internal capacity to do that. That is a heavy lift. Yeah, it's a heavy lift, and and it does. It's not something that happens overnight. I say, you know, and and forgive me for this this analogy. I'm big on analogies, but I say it's these. Some of these wounds are a lot like herpes. Do you know? They lay dormant, and then they flare, and then they lay dormant, and and certain things trigger them to flare. And when they do, there has to be a warmth and embracing of, rather than a punishment for having those things flare. Right. Exactly. So well said. Yeah, so not not the most attractive analogy, but you know you know what I mean. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, the one one last thing I wanted to ask you about is the idea of sexual experimentation. Now, when two people get together and they're very young, and and I see this in my office quite a bit, they're very young, and then as they get older and they you know their needs or their fantasies start to change, and one of the partners wants to try things or do things that the other partner is shocked or stunned or offended by, and there's shame and embarrassment around it, but they also want to experiment. And so there could be a disconnect there in like, you know, now what do we do? What are your thoughts about that? The first thing that I say to couples um, around sexual themes is to set some ground rules and to have a baseline. Uh, so that might be that you talk about these things in a conversation that was scheduled during the day and that the conversation is had in a place where you have uninterrupted time and privacy and that, and there's an agreement, it's a bilateral agreement. I agree. You know, I agree. You agree. And I know you agree. So we have this bilateral agreement that the space that we talk about sexual themes will be judgment-free, that I may have a reaction and I may, may need to take a moment or two to see what I'm reacting to and what my thoughts and feelings are around this, uh, but that it's judgment-free, that we really focus on deep and elegant listening so that I'm listening to you for your thoughts and experiences and feelings and that you listen to me, that we're not always responding to what is being said, that we are reacting, that we respond, but slowly. So when we create the space or the container for those conversations, um, then they go much better. 
And I think that there are times that one partner is surprised or offended and may say, um, I hear you and I, I, I can't be there in this moment. Um, there's some work that I need to do around this. And to call and do a little personal work around uh, with somebody like you, like me, and really, again, uh, discover, uncover what might be under the under. Yeah. But I think that that baseline uh, container, creating the container, that judgment-free container is super important. Mm-hmm. Oh, Dr. Jackie, you said two things that I love. You you use the term deep and elegant listening. That's just gorgeous. I, I adore that, right? Because it's very specific and very doable. The other thing you said is um, in the middle of the day, in a private place, right, which is so important because I know a lot of my couples will do it at night before they're falling asleep or in the morning right before they're going to start their day, you know, and which, right, doomed. Yeah. yeah. Conversations are doomed. Yep. Yeah, I love that. And I, and, and I, it's hard for people to contain it. Like, you know, there they are sitting in bed watching Netflix and one partner is going to pop. They want to talk about it so much. How do, you, how do you suggest that people manage that, not popping? If they have that container and there's that agreement, when the popping comes, you say to your partner, I really want to hear more. And we need to set a time that works for both of us so that I can hear everything you want to share with me about this. Beautiful. How do you feel about couples texting this stuff to each other? Because oftentimes this shows up in texts, which is like... Hardcore about texting too. Uh (laughs) You can text, I'm coming home at four. I'm going to be late. Will you pick up milk? That's it. Do not have conversations on text, via text. People break up via, they do all kinds of crazy things. And I I think that it is, it's laziness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it gives us an out when it's too scary to be vulnerable face-to-face. And, and if that is what is going on, that's something that you and your partner want to talk about. Um, how do you create the safe space to have face-to-face conversations about the tough stuff? Mm, beautiful. I, I agree. I think, you know, I, I definitely think it's an out because people say things through text that they would never look in their loved one's eyes and say, you know, have, I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where they read their text to each other in the middle of the session and you think, what? Yeah. They, they will text. I have, I have clients who will text when they're in the same room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's hysterical. I, I always say buy a beautiful box or a basket or something that's really beautiful and meaningful. And uh, when you come in, turn your phone off, off. Like we all know how to swipe. Turn the phone <laughs> off and put it in a basket so that it it's a it so sends a message and the unmistakable message about that behavior is i'm present i'm showing up here and i'm going to be present and presence and presencing with each other is very powerful and very important and i don't think we do that nearly enough oh no are you kidding i i think about how many couples feel like they have a relationship with the back of their partner's phone 
like an intimate, like they know all the intimate details of the back of their partner's phone and then wonder why there's no arousal or there's no, you know, real conversation. You know, I I think, boy, at least put something fun back there, you know, so if, so that if that's what you're going to do. So um, is there anything that you can, um, off the top of your head, think to offer in terms of tips for if people are feeling like, those moments of ooh, I, I'm not, I'm not as um, patient or empathic with my partner. I think that this is going south or going the wrong way. Before it really, you know, the shit hits the fan. Is there anything that people you think people can do? I think there are three things, three tips. Uh, the first tip is to make sure that you have clearly articulated shared visions or a shared vision. What is your vision for your life? What is the shared vision we have for our relationship? And that the shared vision should really be revisited at least annually. Because a lot of people, when I say, what is the shared vision, your shared vision, they look at me like I have three heads. They have no idea. So that's the first thing I think is so fundamental is to have a shared vision. And the second thing is to agree that you're going to tell your truth, not the truth, but your truth. And that that be clearly articulated and defined. That means I'm going to share with you what I think, what I feel, what my experiences are. And you're going to hold the space respectfully and non-judgmentally for me to do that. So that then we talk to each other, we know more about what is going on for each other. And the third thing is to really uh, be curious about the daily moments that you can connect to your partner and how you can do that. Moments. Oh, I love that. I love that. I um, often do a state of our union, you know, where I have my couples, you know, regularly sit down and say, okay, so how's this, what's the state of our union? And I think that shared vision really, really fits into it beautifully because it's a roadmap. And just like any other you know, person or that we want to go somewhere, we need a map. And so I think that shared vision is a wonderful concept. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's very powerful. Yeah. You know, we have visions and mission statements for our businesses. And in our most important relationship, we need to have that same, who are we and where are we going together? Otherwise, how do we have any expectation that we'll get there together? That's right. That's right. And oftentimes couples don't know. I mean, we don't, individuals don't know, but as couples, it's even more difficult sometimes to say, okay, well, this is what I want. That's what you want. How do we share that? I think sometimes it's a nice idea to even do, and I have on my website, a couple's vision board so that people can together create a vision and then come up with that shared vision and then, you know, create a roadmap to get there. It's, it's really about like succeeding together, setting each other up to succeed. Yeah. Yes. Well, this has really been wonderful, Dr. Jackie. I have just very much enjoyed talking to you. I think it's hysterical that we dressed together uh, in these very similar outfits. But um, is there anything that you'd like to add before we close? No, I don't think so. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. And I actually look forward to being able to put it up on my website so that more people will have an opportunity to hear it. Very good. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. For more information, go to our website, that's lifesauce.com. That's life, 
dashsauce.com. And be sure to follow us on our social media. I'm Dr. Christy Wise. Thank you for joining us.